welcome to the Soccer Coaching Podcast, brought to you in association with our friends at Soccer Coach Weekly, reflecting our shared ambition to help coaches have the most effective, enjoyable and successful coaching journey for them and their players. We hope you enjoyed this episode and thanks for listening. David, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. I'm very good. We've got you up nice and early, but you've got youngsters, so maybe not too early. <laughs> no, no, it's it's the the best time of day when I do my best thinking. Yeah, okay, bright. cool. All right. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. I've seen some of the things you put out on Twitter. I've seen some of the stuff that you do. To be honest with you, the challenge was trying to pick one topic because there's so much we could talk about with you. Like, I honestly, I couldn't think of, like, what I wanted, like, four different things. Like, what, what, how, what can we cover that's probably the more broadest that might um, yeah. bring in some of the other things as well? So we've picked a, a topic which is quite broad in itself anyway. It's, you've got a fascinating background. You're doing some great work. So, you know, maybe this is the first podcast of a few if that's all right. I might get on some other topics later on if, yeah. if that sounds okay. That sounds great. Yeah, I love having conversations about the things that, that we love. So, yeah, exactly. absolutely. Brilliant. Okay, so, well, we're going to talk about how we can use positional play as a tool to better understand the game, which is a bit of a mouthful, but I think I know where we're going to go with it. Let's hope we do anyway. Um, mm-hmm. But before we get into that, it's always nice just to get a bit of background, you know, to the person who's speaking, to find out kind of their background and, like, I guess, their, their view and their approach to coaching. So, if you don't mind, just first of all, kind of a bit about, you know, your coaching journey so far and what it is you currently do? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I, I'm, uh, as you might hear from my accent, I was raised in the United States. Um, I'm originally from Mexico, but moved to the United States very, very early on. Um, so I, I have, um, I, I grew up playing in the United States and then started coaching in the United States. Um, but when I was about 18 years old, 18, 19 years old, uh, my father started, he was working at a club and he, and he brought these, um, these Spanish guys over from, over to, to where we were currently living in New York, um, to run summer camps. And, uh, and, and they were three guys that like, just, just wanted to, to experience new things in, in the United States. And, and they kind of opened the world up to me. Like I had never, cause they asked me if I wanted to help coach and like volunteer coach with that. They just needed more hands. And, and it was, Honestly, it was eye-opening in terms of uh, of of the, the the kind of level and detail that they were providing the kids, and I saw that the kids were taking it in, and the kids that that it was working right, and and the kids were enjoying it. Um. So then, from then, they invited me to 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 Spain to do my UEFA licensing, uh, and and I went over, and I and I I spent you know I was meant to go one year there, but I spent. Th- six years there I ended up meeting my wife there um, and that experience of, of working and, and learning from from some people and from you know some what I consider some of the best minds in football in Spain um, was just completely eye-opening it, it changed the way that I had originally perceived what you know soccer was in the United States to, to what they called football right and uh, and for me it was it, it was probably the 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 fork in the road where it kind of changed my trajectory, changed my thinking, it changed my perception of the game. It changed, it changed everything. And, and from then on, um, so I moved back to the United States five years ago to, to start working in, in, uh, in a club here in Colorado, in, in Denver, uh, Colorado Rapids. And, um, uh, and then, yeah, so, uh, that's a little bit of, of my coaching journey, but along the way, there's been a lot that's happened and yeah. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into that. Um, I'm but sure. yeah. And what age were you when you went out to Spain then? Let's see. I was, uh, I was 20, 22. Okay. So 22. Yeah. yeah. So they came over for a few years that every summer yeah. they would come back and, and eventually they, they were like, you should just come. Um, so, so yeah, I went 22. Then I spent six six or seven years there so i came back when i was about 28 um and now if you do the math 33 now yeah. <laughs> uh, and i'm gonna assume you speak spanish already before you went out to, went out there 
the name yeah, of so Garcia is got you got to speak Spanish, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yes, yeah. So I I I was born in Mexico. Um I grew up in in our household we spoke Spanish. So yes, that was a much it facilitated the experience of just being able to go and fully immersing myself from day one. And and that's definitely um I know often people reach out and they're like, Well, how can I do that? And and one of the first things I say is, Well, can you speak Spanish? Because often uh, in Spain, there's not many English speakers, especially within the the football community. Um, so that definitely facilitated how how well my experience went. And maybe this is an unfair question. I don't know, but can you remember kind of what it was that was the biggest difference between kind of maybe that 18, 19 years of being around soccer in the States and then suddenly meeting these Spanish coaches and being submersed in this kind of different world? Was it the way they spoke about football? Was it was it the way they approached what they saw the game? Was was there like one or two things that were the biggest difference? Or was it just the whole approach to the, just they're looking at the way they looked at football? It was in the United States and, and growing up, it was often it, it revolved around specific actions and it revolved around the individual actions. And when I heard them talking and then the way they viewed the game, it was all about the interactions. And that means between your teammates, but also with with the game, between how can you manipulate opponents? What happens if you position yourself here as opposed to over there? What does that do to the opponent? You know, within that that same interactions, it's it, the 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 relationship between you and the ball, relationship between. So it it really revolved around interactions and relationships of the game, and and I think that was the main difference is that. Often, you know, I I grew up hearing a lot of um, talk around and language around uh, individual actions and and uh, and maybe like isolated actions within the game without ever seeing the connections that you potentially have when you know if you position yourself in a different place, then that's going to affect the 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 opponent, and then that creates space for your teammate, and then that does, and it's like this is this chain of events where. Um, it's almost like the the like the butterfly effect, right? The butterfly really? flaps its wings on the other side of the, the world, and it changes. It's the same thing. Yeah, like yeah. if if you position yourself furthest away from, you're not even near the ball, but you can still affect the 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 game in in a very impactful way. And that's probably the main thing that I that I noticed. And uh, it, and it was the language that they they used around that, and they they had been doing it for so many years that it was clear when they communicated. It wasn't. Yeah. Um, it wasn't compli- complicated for kids. Um, so that that was the biggest thing. Your role at Colorado Rapids now, what is your role there? What do you do? So I'm um, I'm currently working with uh, the under 11s and under 12s. So previously I, I had worked um, within our, for those that are familiar with, um, with the United States system within ECNL programming, um, but older age groups, uh, 15, 16, 17. Uh, and and recently I, I went back to younger age groups, um, which has been fantastic because it really makes you like if you don't have a clear language, the 11 year old is just going to look at you with a blank face as opposed to, you know, a 17 year old, you know, might know the things that they're supposed to do to nod along and to to pretend to know or just ignore you all together and just say yeah i understand yeah, it's so, true. Yeah. Uh, so for it's it's been a, a good experience moving back to the younger age groups yeah fantastic okay um uh, thank you for that again i hope not an unfair question you can rephrase it if you want to i'm going to use the word philosophy but maybe you might have a different word that suits you sure. better but how would you kind of describe your coaching philosophy or, or like your approach to coaching you know if we were going to watch one of your sessions or if you can talk about you know soccer how do you see it and, and what's your approach towards it? So the way that I, how I view coaching is, is the coach's role is to empower players. First of all, the, the game is a, a tool to, to help the people playing, the players, understand life a little bit better and understand life skills a little bit better. And I know that's very like all encompassing. It's very cheesy. But I genuinely believe that. So one of the, the, the biggest things that I see that, that team sports and, and because I, I work in football, that the football can provide is that you contribute to something larger than yourself. So you're always a part of something larger than you. You're not an individual who happens to be playing alongside other individuals. You're an individual playing alongside your teammates who are trying to achieve the same thing. So my philosophy is I use the game 
to help young players. And this could be like, I consider young being anybody under the age of 19, right? There's, there's still not uh, cognitively. We know they haven't developed um, their brain entirely until about 22, 23, sometimes even later. So for, for young players, under or or seeing the 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 effects that they the the power that they can have as individuals to contribute to something larger than themselves and and that contribution is something that they can take to other parts of their lives um when you go out and find a job you're part of something larger than you when you're in your community you're a part of, part of something larger than yourself in your family the same thing and especially you know now that I'm working with younger players that's that's not an easy thing for them to understand. They they see themselves as the center of the universe and the center of what's happening and everything else is just in the way where you have to try to shift their mindset to no, you're a part of something larger and you're contributing and you you have a role to play and your role is as important as other roles, but it is a role to play. So for me, that's kind of the most fundamental part of uh, of my coaching philosophy is using it as a tool to help players uh, or help people um, become better people. Um, and th- and through that, like learning how to communicate, how to be better teammates, how to uh, face adversity, because uh, I think it's it's a, a, a safe to fail experience, right? You, you can yeah. fail, you can lose a game. It means nothing. Yeah. But how you react to that is is something that you can take away into other parts of your life and and that's that that's an extremely valuable thing right like uh resilience uh, so at a the largest scope that would be the first the the my philosophy and then if you zoom in a little bit on football is and we'll, we'll talk about this is um obviously there's many different types of of, of how you can approach the game um but with my background and, and what i've experienced for me positional play is a good way I use positional play to help uh, players understand the game a little bit better because it, because of my approach of contributing something larger than yourselves, you start to see with positional play how you can do that within each role and how you can intentionally use your position to affect the game even if you're not anywhere near the ball. Uh, so... I don't know if that that's answered your question about coaching philosophy, but at the end of the day, the, the key is you want to empower players in the game and then empower players through the game for their life after or outside of the game. So the, the key word is empower. Absolutely. Love it. Thank you so much, David. Well, um, it's interesting because I, I don't know if this is the same for you, but your philosophy has evolved over time, but it was the same when you first started coaching. I was kind of went off with the football fit first. So, you know, like the tactics, technical stuff. And it wasn't until a bit later on that you realize actually the life skill stuff and those, you know, those key behaviors around things like a desire to compete and resilience and good team, good teamwork, leadership, communication, those kind of skills, how important they really are. And actually, if you focus your attention as a coach on those kind of stuff, actually the football thing becomes easier to support as well because you've got these kind of foundations in place which enable the players to really show what they've got. Well, did you, did you have this? philosophy from the outset or has that been part of your evolution as well as a coach that's a good question because I, to be honest i hadn't ever really considered it um but it's probably the same that, that you just described i probably had uh initially you know when you start you think you <laughs> you're the pep guardiola yeah. and jose Mourinho, and you think exactly. like you, you're you're trying to implement all these tactics and then then this is going to yeah. happen <laughs> And then later on, perhaps, I, I don't know at what point you start to realize and this is, you know, one of the things I constantly have to remind myself is that it is just a game, right? Like, and that, that kind of reflects the, the, the work that I do in the, in my website and my, is that it's, it's just a sport. Like the, at the end of the day, like everything, you, the ref blows the whistle and it's over and you, you move on to things that probably have a, a more, a more important at the end of the yeah. day. And... You, you play football right you play football you don't play boxing but you play football it's a game you know and especially like you know only those under 12s i mean sometimes you can be at a match on a sunday or a saturday with us and it can feel like it's more than a game right and it's more important than it should be but reality is it is just a game and um i think when you look at it like that then i think everyone just you know gives a bit of perspective on stuff doesn't it which is yeah. which is always good 
But your second point then around the positional play stuff, and obviously this is the football bit now we're going to get into a bit more, um, which is which is great. We've done a few podcasts over the years that have touched on positional play. Um, and I think there's been some continuity in the stuff we spoke about. And I'm sure there will be again today. But just as a starting point, if you don't mind, David, just kind of in your words, what is positional play? Yeah, and I think um, recently there's been a lot of discussion around positional play and like functional play or relationism or um and 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 i just want to initially start by there's there's many different methods and there's many different ways to bring the game to life right like there's however many billion people playing the game but then within each culture and within each um uh sector of football there's there's different types of football and there's different uh manners in which that game is best brought to life and so i want to emphasize that there this isn't this is i I guess i'm providing my perspective and if others find it useful then then great and this if if you know people want to pick and choose things from from one or another i think that's probably the best way to go is you use your experiences and you use yourself as a filter right you you take knowledge in you take information in and then um with the experience and what you put out the output um, there's a new thing that emerges, and that's always the coolest part. Um, but for me, positional play, and, and I've always used it as, is is like I said, is the interactions, is is helping players understand how they can intentionally use their positions to better, to give themselves more space and time in order to achieve the objectives of the game, which are the laws clearly state the laws of the game clearly state that that the the objective of the game is to score more goals than the opposition so to do that we can hopefully maximize the the necessary space and time that's that's required of achieving that like some players might need very minimal space and time in order to to effectively move the ball forward or score a goal or or but other players um, and maybe other teams require more space and time. Therefore, you intentionally use your position uh, to create and to e- exploit that space and time. And and for me, that's that's the basis of it. From there, there's different, you know, obviously there's different steps that go into that. But at the most fundamental level is you intentionally use your position to create and and hopefully use that space and time to achieve the objective of the game and i I guess for most coaches they probably don't get to choose their squads you kind of almost inherit your squad you may get an opportunity to fine tune a little bit here and there but you get your squad what variables do you think then as coach we should look at when we see our squad of players to influence maybe how we how we approach positional play i'm assuming that some of this stuff dictated by obviously your coaching philosophy and like the way you want to play your football but also you know if you've got players that maybe are technically stronger but maybe not as physically big you might change the way you do things or vice versa are there variables that come into play on this when you're talking about positional play yeah absolutely it's it's the i think the the players abilities or inabilities dictate the 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 methods dictate the the what right so like i i had a uh um a professor, his name's Oscar Cano Moreno. He's he's probably one of my I, I look up to him a lot, and and he's you know one of my mentors in, in terms of uh, my past. Um, and he used to say he used to teach a class called um, training methodology, and he'd always the first day of class he'd he'd go into this rant that he'd go into the 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 he'd talk to the federation president and say I'm not teaching method I'm not teaching methodology I'm teaching playerology because the players dictate what we do and so I always I, I found that that very it's it stuck with me because it's true it's the who dictates the what so the if you understand what players you have in front of you and what their needs are and and how you can best help them it is going to change a little bit about what you do the methods that you apply. If you just blindly use methods um, and you copy and paste from, uh, and if if you're familiar with Juan Malillo, he's a Pep Guardiola's assistant. He he often talks about uh, a globalized training methodology. I think he's he's referring to this. It's 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 copying and pasting methods that you saw elsewhere for a different context and trying to apply it to your own context without understanding who's in front of you, and and having that understanding about again players abilities and inabilities and that also means their cognitive abilities and physical abilities and 
and potentially their emotional abilities and, and social abilities. Those all come into play when you're deciding which, what's the best way forward? What methods are we going to use to try to bring to life the football that we want to bring to life? So I would say that that is important, absolutely. And ultimately then, regardless of what methods you specifically adopt or, or maybe combination of methods, is it all about space and time? Is, is, is that what football is about? Like how we get ourselves in certain positions on the pitch with, you know, ideally, as, I guess, as much time as possible. Is that what we're trying to achieve and it's just different ways of going about it? I believe so. I think that, that um, football at the end of the day is... It's constrained by the laws of the game, right? So the, the laws of the game tell you what you can't and can't do. So, for example, a good example of that is the offside law, right? So the, that constrains where you can and can't be, right? You can't be between the, the or past the second to last player. Uh, so, so that obviously that means that that it's constraining space in a certain form and and by by definition also time um however i do think that that space and time uh can be manipulated in different ways and it doesn't have to be for example in positional play you intentionally use uh your position um, by by being in 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 potentially other spaces. But for example, uh, one of the things that I've, I've been reflecting on recently is, is um, watching a lot of, uh, of more uh, like South American uh, football. You use, there's, there's the uh, in, um, credit to um, Jamie Hamilton because he's brought this to light. Um, but there's a, a tactic used the tabela, which is basically the one player plays it forward and then that same player receives it from from like a, a target player right so like imagine a, a an eight or a ten playing it forward into a nine and then that same player that that eight or ten receives it further up the field progressing up the field that is the same use of space and time except the 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 motion of it is different right so yeah how how that motion came about football is motion and in, in within the constraints of the laws of the game and how that's expressed, how that motion ex is expressed is different. So yes, I do think that it is about space and time, but I think it's how you manipulate space and time and how you manipulate the motion of football and how you, you bring to life your motion of football can be entirely different and there's probably things that you know we haven't considered and some of the coolest parts is things that just emerge right you just create the conditions for it and you see a player do it and they surprise you like well i didn't think of that like that that's yeah. that's what we want that's what we want so we create the conditions for it for then that to occur and I think, like you said at the beginning, I mean, this is about not just in possession, right? So we, however much we may get our game organised and structured, we've still got to respond to when we haven't got the ball, haven't we? So you've still got to manage the situation when you're not in control of possession as well as you are. So I guess that's what keeps it interesting. It's, con it's a constant cat and mouse game, isn't it? Which which is why it's not just a science and it is a craft. Absolutely, yeah. Because it's both teams are trying to achieve the same thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But and then the other one's trying to stop the 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 defending team's trying to stop the attacking team from doing what they know they're trying yeah. to do, yeah. and and it's, it's like you say it's a cat and mouse game because it, especially and you see this at the highest level there's there's certain tactics that like well I don't want them to go into this space but then if I do this then they do this and and then you go into this like if then scenarios and and yeah so it is a, a cat and mouse game and you can intentionally use your position to affect. Um, on the defense out of possession as well. Yeah. What was your view on formations um, and their relationship with positional play? Is it a case of now, it feels this way more that formations are becoming a lot more fluid. Um, you know, maybe in the old days, there was a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3 and that was what you played in and out of possession. That was it. Where now it feels like actually most teams, you, you'll see the um, the analysts putting up the team sheets before and like, trying to work out the game on Sky Sports before the thing. And, you know, then you look at the, the, the touch maps of the players and they're not playing those positions really. What, what, what's your take on formations now in the modern game and how it relates to positional play? I think you can throw them out the window. 
Um, <laughs> at the end of the day, what's important is the the roles that that players may play within the game. So you you often you often see players at the the teams at the highest level. It, it's not about who's playing in a certain position. It's who can occupy certain roles or even how can as a group how can we try to achieve certain uh certain things together but it doesn't matter who's doing it and and more and more we're seeing that it's not about specialist players and specialist roles it's about generalist players players who can do everything and that's probably it's a difficult thing to try to approach because it's very easy to say, okay, you're in this, you're in this role and I want you to do X, Y, and Z and simple enough, right? However, you say, you know, a, a center back now needs to be able to defend, needs to be able to win duels, needs to be able to carry the ball out, needs to be able to pass right and left foot, needs to be able to, to potentially, uh, to create chances, right? It needs to be able to 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 sprint. It, there's all these things that that players need to be able to do now in order to to fit that role. And I think the reason that we need those fluid roles is because because that cat and mouse game has kind of been figured out. So it, it you can't pre uh, predetermine what is going to be the tactic of the game. Rather than the players have to bring it to life, and there's just a lot of if then scenarios and and a lot of uh, conditions or conditioning around uh, in certain phases or in certain moments we can try as a group we can try to do this but obviously it doesn't matter who's doing it and so i think it will require generalist players at the end of the day more versatility more adaptation in the moment yeah yeah okay thank you for that so got a good idea about positional play got a good idea about you know, what it looks like and how we could use it uh, before we look about how how it can benefit players understand this in more detail just coaches first i mean a lot of people listen to the podcast probably like me volunteer coaches doing the best we can you know uh, it's become more than a hobby but you know it, it isn't what we do for a living um and we might have young players under 11s under 12s um what are the benefit for coaches who maybe haven't embraced this this kind of topic of positional play what would be the benefits for them to kind of get in a book, find a bit more about this. How would it help them in their coaching? I think it gives often what, what I, when I work with coaches, cause, cause I, I do, I, I do some consultancy and, and I, I, uh, one of my passions is, is, is empowering both players and other coaches. So when I do work with coaches, I often see that it's, it's chasing the next uh, flavor of the month. And so I think the, for me, the, the benefit that I saw in in applying this kind of thinking to my methods and into how I approach the game was that it gave my thinking a little bit of more structure. And perhaps that's just me that I, I, I need a little bit more structure. I need a little bit more logic. I need um, that like thing to fall back on when when training can feel chaotic, when games can feel chaotic, when a season, feels chaotic and and you're just like scrambling chasing your tail you go back to the the kind of the the principles and and the um the 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 groundwork of of positional play and that in and of itself can ground you uh into okay forget everything that's going on around like this is the thing that we do these are the the the, the important parts that that are going to help the players understand the game the most and using that 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 logic and structure i think it 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 can like i said it can keep you grounded and and then keeps you from like chasing your tail a bit do you think it's easier to coach when you have that clarity in your own kind of game format, your own game model? I guess if you've got some good detail around it, you don't necessarily have to give all the information to the players and you probably wouldn't when they're on the 11s or 12s. But actually, if you've got that depth of detail in your own head, does it make it easier then to kind of see stuff and coach in sessions and in games? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's without a doubt. I I, I couldn't if, if that was the only thing that people took away from from listening to this to, to our conversation is that when you have a clear idea of the messages and and the the uh the communication that the 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 view of the game you're going to have 
a clear idea and you're going to be able to more clearly communicate it to players. If it's a jumble in your head, it's you can guarantee it's going to yeah. be a jumble coming out. Yeah. If it's not clear in your head, forget about it because yeah. it, that's the first step. If uh, You have to provide clarity to your own mind and to your own thinking uh, in order to be able to communicate that clarity to players. And I think often, because one of the things that I often do is I help coaches create game models. And, and game models, I know, sometimes has a bad connotation because people think it's, well, it's pres- prescribed. It's prescribed instructions. and then, But that's not, that's not, it doesn't need to be that way, right? It, it can be, it can be player-driven principles. And it can be principles that are going to best help the players and that are in relation to the environment and when you when you spend time putting those things onto paper you often find the clarity because you realize your own mm, misunderstandings of things so i one of the things that I, i i tell coaches is that spend that time to reflect on on and and create something that you can put onto paper and then reflect on it and once you've gone through that process, I can guarantee you, you'll either say, oh, that makes sense, or no, I haven't thought about it clearly enough, or this doesn't make sense to me even written down. How is it ever going to make sense to my players? So that going through that process for me is is probably the most important thing that a coach can do um, because it, it provides clarity to your own mind, and then in that you provide clarity to your players. And you've mentioned a couple of times about principles of play. Um, do you have some fundamental principles of play that you kind of are wedded to? Or again, is this something that you would you would bring into play depending on the squad and the age of the players you've got? Or do you have like these foundations of principles of play that's in possession? Do we do these three things? Out position, we do these three things. Yeah, I. this is, again, this is starting starting to get into my subjective application and my uh, and how I view the game and and. What what I like the most is when I I share these with people and then they tweak them and they use them for their own. They create a different language around it. But yes, I definitely have uh, principles or or main principles of 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 uh, of play which allow and I've purposely constructed language around them which allow player expression of them in different ways so for example one of the ones that i often use and and how i i I view the game and and again it can be viewed in many different ways but one of the games one of the ways that i view the game is in in a build-up when when you're when you're trying to to progress the ball forward i often i've seen a pattern that that at the highest level and all the way down is if a team is able to get the ball between or in front of the the back line between back line opposition back line and midfield line facing forward their their chances and their probability of of getting a shot out of that or creating a chance out of that is much much higher than than different circumstances right so that's a fundamental main principle of play so it, for example the way that i that i've the, the language that i've crafted around that is can we get the ball between midfield line and front line facing forward under control like within our possession where it feels like we're from there the the, the ways that that can be applied are endless right you can do that if if you have many players who are gifted in, in in their ability on the ball and they can dribble past opponents then maybe that's the best way you can do that like i reference with the tabella right like you can have a player from in front of them the opposition midfield line play it to a player who's who's got their back to the opposition goal but then they leave it off and now that player is now facing between front line and midfield line facing forward you've done it that's a different way or you can do it in the way that for example you see often city that that they do it is that they have players already in that space and they want to create gaps and they want to create spaces big enough so they can get the ball to those players half turn and now you're facing forward and running at the back line so there's many different ways to approach that and and i think that's that's what i'm very aware of is that i want to craft language where it's there's many 
many ways that a player can express themselves and the player can achieve that as opposed to me saying, well, we want to, I want the players to get the ball to the six and then play it to the eight. And then those players, I want them in certain positions. And that there's really, that's, that's only one way to achieve my version of that principle, that to be successful within that principle. So that's just one of them, for example, in the buildup that, that, uh, that I, you know, I, I, I use and, and depending on the team and we might go about it in a different way uh, or depending on the age might go about it in a different way. Um, but that is just a general view of, of the game. And you mentioned language a few times so I'd written down before you said it, but how important is it then once we've kind of got our approach and our objectives and then a way of which you like to achieve them, that we kind of have a common language that we're using the same words and then players kind of stand it. So I guess it kind of like almost like a shorthand and it's succinct. Is language or could language be a key part of how we coach support players? How, how important is it that we kind of have a terminology that kind of works and we're consistent with? Or does it not really matter? And actually, as long as our principles are good and we, when we work hard at training, the language isn't really that important. Language, at the end of the day, is, is a way to at, uh, direct attention, right? So if, if, there, is, if there is language uh, crafted around what we deem to be important, that's going to direct attention towards the important um, things in the environment. So the players will start to notice and perceive the the important elements of the environment that are that are being directed by the language, right? And, and the key, the so yes, in in short, language for me is incredibly important, but because it creates the thing that we're all trying to pay attention to. The more that we can align what we're trying to pay attention to, the better. And often you can do that in a kind of more implicit way and in like a cultural way. So, but at the end of the day, you can speed up the process a little bit to try to better align what everybody's contributions are towards the, the what, like, like I said, what we deem important. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just think, though, if you're going to, again, if it's about clarity and, and like being consistent, then actually having terminology that supports that clarity is, is helpful, isn't it? Because you can maybe have anagrams or just keywords and players understand what you mean, but it's almost like shorthand, right? So, so yeah, it doesn't t- take away the work you have to do to train these in and practice it, but actually it's just cues and it reminders to keep us focused towards those objectives and not get lost in the chaos of what can be quite a chaotic game. Absolutely, yeah, and and the, the, like you said, the chaos, chaos, and and predictability are important because the the brain is 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 essentially lo- always looking for patterns, and it's always looking to find predictability in our in our world. Um, and this this goes into like psychological safety and finding if, if you don't know how your how the if players don't know how the coach is going to behave after, for example, making a mistake. That that gives them unpredictability, and that gives them a, a, a psychological unsafety, and and it, it makes them feel like they're unsafe in that environment because they're they don't know they 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 it's it's unpredictable to them. So in that same way, we we as human beings, we often our our brains want to find patterns in 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 the world to find some predictability in what's going to happen. We we some people thrive more in in or require less predictability than than others but the brain is constantly trying to do that so if if we can create language and and we can kind of support that well our predictability in the way that we play is these things right yeah in a chaotic game that's helpful because it requires less energy and everything that we do has an energy cost and the the work of uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett I don't know if you're familiar with her yeah. um she wrote a book called um how emotions are made and and there's another re- really good book like seven and a half uh lessons of the brain something like that she she often talks about uh, uh metabolic costs and and we want to our brain wants to be as its job is to to make everything that we do as efficient as possible in terms of spending energy. And the way you do that is by finding patterns and by, by finding predictability within your environment. So if we can create that for players within a chaotic game, it's going to mean that they're, 
they're going to feel less tired, less mentally, cognitively tired. Therefore, they're going to be able to express that in, in different ways. They're going to be able to maintain sprints longer. They're going to be able to, um, to cover spaces for more than the opponent, hopefully. Um, so that the language crafts predictability within the game and that can like i said that can either be implicit or explicit that can be something that's that's conditioned through training exercise and training activities or you know explicitly through the language that we use but i think both probably should go hand in hand and you've mentioned quite a few things already in like the benefits to players themselves about you know, using positional play. Um, but just broadly, what, what, you know, what are the benefits to players here? If, if you've got a coach that's got a positional play, uh, I guess, model and, you know, can embed that with their players, how does it help them? It helps the players because they, it's, it's a little bit, especially for young players, they know what to pay attention, where to try to direct their attention to. And this is this all kind of happens unconsciously, but imagine that you you and we've all seen youth games where it feels just so chaotic, and imagine a young player knowing I can kind of ignore seventy percent of what's happening because I know the important things are how I'm manipulating the the my direct opponent. Um, do I draw them away with my position? Do I come back and support the ball carrier? Do I, so you're, you're directing their attention towards a few specific things, which allows them to ignore everything else, which again, is, it's much metabolically more efficient for their brain. And, and hopefully the things that you're directing their attention to leads them to have success in, in the game. And when they have success, they're more empowered. They enjoy the game more and it's a, a kind of a domino effect where the the more success they have, the more they love the game, the more they want to keep playing, the more that they want to get better. And it's just hopefully that that, you know, the long term effects of that is is massive. And to do that, then, is it about defining the role? Would you kind of take a role in, in the in the formation or the structure that you've got with the team that you're playing and say, okay, in this position, these are the kind of things we need to focus on? And again, is it about maybe highlighting two or three things in and out of possession, potentially, where you say, right, you know, that's in to, for us to link together and to sort of join up as like one big puzzle, come, like we're clicking in as one. Um, is that how you approach it individually? You said at the beginning, like it, obviously, it's, you know, it's, it's a it's a team sport played by individuals, right? So, is, is that how you special plan get the players to help understand it by defining their roles within in the bigger picture? Uh, it it depends on the age and stage, but for example, at the very root of it, it all comes down to two v two. It all comes down to uh, a ball carrier, uh, a teammate, a an opponent of the ball carrier, and somebody who's potentially defending their the 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 teammate right and with younger players it's not really about the roles within the game or within a, a system or formation or anything it's rather the roles that they're playing in that specific moment so for example it could be you could either be a direct teammate of the ball carrier or you could be an indirect teammate meaning that the direct teammate is is within one pass or or is within one interaction of the of the ball and an indirect teammate would be somebody who's um, potentially within multiple interactions of the ball. So in terms of space, it would, they would be further away. So when, when players start to recognize themselves as direct teammates or indirect teammates, that's a huge, huge leap in terms of their cognitive understanding of the game. When they start to recognize themselves as the ball carrier and potentially what are some of the... the uh, options or what are some of the the choices that I have within my role as a ball carrier and how do I prioritize those so for example if I can progress I try to progress the ball again you can do that by dribbling you can do that by passing if if we if I can't progress um, potentially maybe that means that my direct teammate is open and and again that direct teammate has certain choices that they can take up where they position themselves in relation to the ball carrier and in relation to their the the maybe their closest mark their closest defender 
in order to provide passing options, in order to provide um, abilities to, to maintain possession. So more than roles within the a system, you could get, you absolutely get there eventually, right? Yeah. Because then it, it needs to be when those roles within that like really small 2v2, uh, 2v1 uh, frame, that when that's unconscious and, and they know how to, how to support at, a, uh, at an angle where they receive the ball and they've kind of already beat that line of pressure, then yeah, of course, you start to provide roles within specific maybe moments of the game or specific roles of 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 the system um but at a very very basic level is can they understand their role as ball carriers as direct teammates as indirect teammates and then on the flip side as a direct opponent of the ball carrier and as an uh indirect yeah. uh defender and that's that's kind of the the like i said it's not an easy thing to do because it happens so quickly, but when young players start to do that really well, oh man, you can see, you can see yeah. even just them recognizing those roles is huge. What kind of tools or methods um, could coaches use if they want to embed some positional play into their training? Are, are there things out there that you would recommend that you know maybe would be helpful to do some of this stuff and put into practice? Yeah, I think one of the 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 um... Obviously, one of the tools that many people use are, are rondos and positional play games, right? And where essentially what it, what those do is they standardize the position of players. So they tell, they constrain where players can go and where they can't go. And in a sense, those have some, some positive uh, benefits in that they start to, to understand their manipulation of opponents because they're already in those positions. Like you've predefined the positions for them. So those can be good initially, but eventually you have to take the, the, the constraints from position off. So doing, you know, for example, let's say that you do a, a, a five versus two Rondo, right? Like very, it's non-directional, where there's four players around the outside, each player's on side of the square, and then there's a player in the middle with two defenders, something like that. Yes, that could be beneficial in terms of like potentially how they receive the ball and their manipulation of like, if I receive it this way, which way is the defender going to come? And if I receive it open up, now maybe I'll freeze them. That Those kind of patterns they start to notice. But then you can build from there. You can it's it's um and I'll, sh I'll I can share a link. But I have an article um where I build a uh, where you go from a five v two rondo and you start to build into something that that's more directional where that you're not constraining every player within that game. So per perhaps it's like the two target players where it's now mm, two directions, and then the three other players within the middle are are free to go wherever they want. And then the two players within the two defenders obviously are free to, to go try to recover the ball. Now, by doing that, you're constraining less the position, which gives them more decision-making about where they can position themselves. And they start to essentially, like scientists, test, right? Like if I go here, what's that going to do? If I go far, what's that going to do? If I position myself directly in front of my teammate how is that going to affect his his ability or and you can start to have well help the players reflect on on their experiences within their scientists experimentation of of position and the the less you from there for example let's say in, in that you're only constraining the two target players about their position right from there potentially maybe you don't constrain anyone and it starts to look like a bit more of a, of a game where the, there's the, there's a two goals two target goals there and then one team is protecting a goal but behind them with a goalkeeper and potentially that target player then becomes the goalkeeper and now they're using this those building blocks that you work your way from work up from um, you you try to to have them have more uh variables that they can test out in terms of manipulation of 
the game or like interactions within the game. But at the and and to back to your original question, having an understanding about what it is your intention is, what what would you like the players to experiment with, right? So in that first five v two game, you're not really having them experiment too much with their position, maybe like body position. So if if that's what the players need, great, then yeah, absolutely apply that. But the more, I think you can definitely use the traditional rondos, positional games as the building blocks of 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 positional play. But then you definitely have to release them at some point. You have to allow them to experiment with with um, with their positioning and with their interactions and with their interaction with teammates, with opponents, with with how they can affect the game with different ways. I, I haven't really answered that as succinctly as I, I would have liked. You have, you uh, have. Honestly, I think, you know, like you say, I guess the relevance there is doing things that are going to transfer into the game, the, the format you're playing, um, and that reflect the principles that you want to see in that game, isn't it? That's the key things here. And actually, one of those positional play can be manipulated in different ways to achieve the things that you want to achieve as the coach. So copying your rondo like, might not be any good to me, but doing a different version of a rondo might be exactly what we need. So I think, you you, you know, you, I, you said it perfectly. I'd be interested to know again, not because like I do understand that every group is different. I've learned that over the years and, you know, pinching ideas off YouTube often doesn't transfer very well into your own coaching set. They, what would be a typical kind of training session for you? And I don't mean less in detail, but like, how would it look if you're doing your under 11s or under 12s, you know, if you've got an hour and 90 minutes, just roughly, what does the session look like? How do you start? What's the middle? What's the end? Um, how do you approach that in relation to like some of the positional play things just you, you've spoken about? Uh, it definitely depends on the, the 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 time of the season. So, for example, I'll, I'll just explain now since we're at the beginning of the season. It's a, it's a new group for me. Uh, so right now it's a lot of like smaller sided uh, activities because I want them to, to understand the roles of, like I referenced before, a direct teammate, indirect teammate, ball carrier, and what are the choices they have within those. So one of the big things that, that this is for, for younger players. One of the big things that I always want to provide is a uh, they arrive and they play. I, I have 3v3 fields set up and they just arrive and they pick their, their bibs up and they just start playing. So that's that's often really important to me because it allows them time to just play with their teammates. It, it's, it's unstructured because I genuinely don't even, I don't say a word. I don't. I don't often I don't even watch them right and it's always a little bit hard at the beginning of the season because because I want to make sure that the habits that we discuss so for example wanting to compete and and some of the the principles around for example transitioning can we immediately try to press after we lose the ball hopefully are within those games but I allow them to experience just play just play so that's often the first activity that that they go into. From there, depends on 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 the day. But for example, a, a common activity that I do is two v ones in de- many different ways. So like, uh, player passes. Uh, imagine there's there's a I don't know twelve by fifteen square. Player passes the ball into uh in into an attacking player, and then that one player who passes the ball and is now defending a common 2v1 activity but you manipulate it in different ways you can have end zones you can have goals you can have um uh you can position the goals in different ways you can have different starting positions we do a lot of of 2v1 2v2 small sided where i want them to see in different in different situations your role as a direct teammate as a ball carrier might be different depending on on where we want to go if the defender happens to come from a different angle what does how does that affect where you're going to position yourself or how you can best position yourself in order to achieve the 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 goal and in doing so you're working on you're helping the players attack and defend right like it uh, so we do. I do a lot of uh, two two v ones, two v twos, three v twos, 
probably not much more than 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 three v twos, but in different ways, in different manipulations of the space and and of of where they want to go, of starting positions. Like I said, uh, from there it might be a bit of a, a more players involved. So maybe uh, like I like I referenced, you can use positional play games as the the starting point. So there might be a positional play game where there's uh, target to target, or potentially there's goals behind target players, or um, where I'm maybe constraining a little bit in terms of positioning. Depends on the 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 uh, what the intention is, yeah. or or what they need is the other part of that so I'll, I'll often do some form of positional play and that could be a really constrained version of a positional play game or a really loose version of a positional play game and then often we we i like to to allow them to see where this fits in within the larger context of a match so it'll be some form of a, a, a phase game where maybe it's it's a build-up with different constraints maybe it's end zones maybe the the target goals are more centered or maybe they're wider maybe there's three target goals or maybe there's i might even put conditions in terms of um, constraining uh horizontal lines or or not and i just want them to to experiment a little bit more uh, but it'll be some form of phase game where it's the build up or around the scoring moment or around um a, a part of, of the game that they might see within the larger context of the game. And the purpose of that is for them to see the, hopefully the, the 2v1, 2v2 game connects with the positional play game and which connects with the phase game. And, and they start to see, right. So for example, when um, center back is trying to, we're trying to play out and center back wants to attract by dribbling will replicate that within the 2v1. And then within the positional play game, maybe there's a condition where a target player can dribble in. Again, that's replicating a center back dribbling in, trying to attract someone, releasing somebody. And then the phase game, again, it's this they're they're gonna keep getting that, but now with more variables and more complexity. Uh, and I want to continue to direct attention towards those uh those roles and and their interactions but in a larger context in the in the match context now so that's often what it looks like and it also depends on it like here we we often have uh especially in, in denver we often have a lot of snow um early on in the fall and sometimes we'll have weekends where it's two you know two games uh, saturday sunday maybe even like this weekend there was three games because of a, a tournament so saturday sunday monday so obviously maybe it's a little bit less uh less phase games and more maybe more positional play games or maybe more 2v1 or maybe it's just playing because they're just i can tell they're cognitively tired mm. so i, I want to give them a little bit less awesome thank you so much david that's been brilliant also then what we haven't spoke about is it's just a sport. Can mm -hmm. you tell us a bit about the background to that and, and, and what that is? Yeah, so it's just a sport. It started, it's 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 my website. So it, it initially started as a blog when I was in Spain um, doing my UEFA licensing. I I had tons of notes. I had tons of like odds and ends of like teachers sharing their slides and, and my class notes and my, my projects and my, I had all these things everywhere right and and i wanted to uh to try to to make sense of it and to try to distill it into my version of it so i just started writing blogs about it started writing um it to be honest i didn't know i think it was just for me more than anyone else and but like i said earlier when you try to put things on the paper you realize you either get it or you don't and by going through that process, you, you clarify a little bit your thinking and you solidify some of the things that, that you've experienced. So I started doing that and that, yeah, I had some some success and, and same thing with, um, with uh, social media. It was like distilled versions of the blog. And so I did that over the years. I did that for 
I've, I think I've, I've been doing that for like eight years now, that website or eight, seven, eight years. And over the course of time that, that's, that spawned into a coach uh, development platform. And so now it's, I, I offer a, an, an online course, which is my, my view of, of uh, kind of more subjective view of, of positional play um, so that's I have an online course I have some consultancy work that I do and it's all based around my website and um, recently I started doing uh, uh, coach development workshops that are based around what I call the coaching workflow so uh, development of game model uh, a game plan so how well can you observe and 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 the opponents and your own team in relation to your game model and then game prep is how well can you create scenarios create training sessions that are going to help the players bring to life certain game plans and yeah that's in a nutshell it's i guess uh, if i could describe it in one word it's a coach development platform or coach development uh resource and is the training done online? Is it is it like live or is it a virtual models you kind of go into any time? Can it be done outside of the states? Yeah, this is all uh, this is all online. And in fact, um, the majority of, of what I created was during COVID. <laughs> right. So that's uh, at that time, as you know, it was all online and it was, everything was virtual. And, and I actually had I, I noticed that people were more keen to 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 you know join me virtually and i could reach more people obviously right. and and i do i did i do uh, an in person course in spain every year um which um it's for a handful of people so obviously not everybody can go but i i like the the ability of the virtual platform where you can reach more people and and to be honest, it's it's been great because I get to meet people from from all over the world and, and and talk to people from all over the world. And most of those, like the online course that I do, the it's called Coaching Positional Play Online Course. That one is at your own pace. However, there's a we have a Slack group, a Slack community where there's a lot of interactions within that Slack group. And then there's a, a monthly webinar that that's included in that, and that's super cool because we you know last. Um, last week we had uh, Carl Axum from um, as a coach out of Norway, who was sharing his game model, and we've had um, uh, other. You know, we had a researcher that that came and, and uh, talked a little bit about uh, learning for young young players. Um, so the the webinars are fantastic. I get to interact with, with the people doing the course, um, and then the workshops. Those are there's a set time and date for those. Those are four weeks. And so those are a little bit more predetermined about the time, but, but yeah, that's, it, it depends on, on, on which, uh, how I'm interacting with people, whether that's, um, uh, at your own pace or, or, you know, working alongside me. It sounds awesome. We'll look, we'll put the links in our show notes to the website and to the courses, um, and to everything else. David, thank you so much for your time. I, I know it's a massive talk positional play, and we've kind of just touched on some of the stuff around it, but that's been fa- been awesome. We we ask our guests all this one last question. That's okay. If there was one thing you could change about the world of coaching, just one thing, what might that be? Oh, that's a hard one. I would, I would change the the incentives. Uh, that are currently in place. I think most of the incentives around youth football are around um, around money, around uh, trying to to capture as much or build as much uh, of a, a financial um, security around. And I think uh, if we created, if we can change the structure around youth football to to align with the intentions that it's a game that's uh, that needs to be should be played by everyone and everybody should have the opportunity to play uh, as much as possible and and use that as a tool of, of of human development that would be my my goal and and that that's not in the just to be clear that's not on clubs that's not on on specific people it's it's on on a society as a whole. How can governments provide subsidies 
for field use? How can to, to try to minimize the cost so that the buck isn't passed on to parents? And and because I think that's an important part is is it's a part of society. So Absolutely. that would be the one thing. Great answer. Thank you, David. Thank you so much for that. You've been awesome. If people want to find out more about you, want to reach out to you, have questions, is there a way they can do that? Yeah, I think probably the easiest way is uh, through through Twitter uh, or X. I don't know what people are calling it nowadays. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, IJA Sports or at IJA Sport, which it's just a sport. Uh, and you can send me a message there and I, I often respond within one or two days. For sure. awesome. So yeah, absolutely. They can reach me there. Well, again, we'll put the link in for your Twitter handle as well, your X handle. Um David, thanks so much for this. Would you come back on again and talk about another topic at some point? I, there was three other things we could have spoke about today. I know this is one I really wanted to cover. And I'm glad we did. But would you come back on at some point in the not too distant future and cover something else for us? Yeah, absolutely. No, it was a Top pleasure. man. You're a star. Thank you so much. Appreciate the early morning. Appreciate the early start. Uh, all the best with everything for this season. And uh, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Perfect. Thank you so much. This episode was brought to you in association with our friends at Soccer Coach Weekly. Established since 2006, Soccer Coach Weekly is a leading source of inspiration and advice for all grassroots coaches. Join thousands of youth soccer coaches just like you, saving time and effort in their goal of having the most effective, enjoyable and successful coaching journey for them and their players. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode.